so I will begin with a disclaimer here. Uh, I'm not a specialist uh, in scientific epistemology. I'm not a specialist in scientific modeling. Uh, so I think my contribution, and I envision it uh, to be a, a modest contribution, uh, hopefully a follow-up uh, on what Professor uh, Schnell uh, presented, uh, where I think we share something uh, together, uh, and I'm fascinated to see a biologist who, uh, who actually does care for first principles, uh, and I would like to emphasize the importance of uh, first principles uh, once again, in general, for scientific understanding and uh, for, uh, in particular, in biology and biological modeling, and ask a question to what extent uh, contemporary modeling in biology is and can or could be uh, um, causal. Okay, so uh, the plan is uh, this. I will uh, say a few words. Uh, I know, I mean, I should have envisioned that having this many guests from Notre Dame, uh, everything would be said already about uh, principles of scientific uh, knowledge, uh, but I will just uh, briefly mention it to locate within this scheme uh, the importance of uh, causal modeling and reflect a little bit on Aristotle's uh, causal modeling. And then uh, a contemporary, very briefly, Aristotelian causal modeling of living beings and eventually uh, a reflection on modeling in contemporary biology. So uh, again, I begin with uh, Aristotle's uh, ideal of scientific knowledge, which as has been mentioned here several times already, uh, episteme uh, is the superior uh, kind of knowledge of knowing exp expressed in uh, certain and necessary conditions that enable us to attain truth with certitude. Uh, this is truth known with certitude, uh, achieved by someone who can successfully identify what the cause that makes a fact to be what it is. So uh, again, probably one last time uh, uh, I go to uh, posterior analytics. Uh, where Aristotle says, to this quotation in particular, where he says, unqualified scientific knowledge of a thing, um, we uh, possess it when we think that we know, again, the cause of which the fact, uh, uh, on which the fact depends as the cause of that fact and no other, no, and further that that fact could not be other than it is. So uh, Aristotle is himself aware uh, of how difficult it is to achieve this sort uh, of knowledge. So he is introducing and discusses other types of knowledge, as we all know, knowledge that is uh, just probable, uh, though not absolutely uh, uh, certain. Uh, and it would be for him an assent to a proposition rather than uh, to its opposite, uh, with uh, an awareness that it may be actually false and the opposite it may be true. Uh, so knowledge that is probable and not absolutely certain, uh, so it is less than, uh, uh, than episteme, but still more than uh, pistis, uh, in Latin persuasio, uh, which is characteristic of somebody who uh, find it difficult to decide between uh, two or more opinions, but nonetheless uh, we make uh, the decision we are inclined and Aristotle obviously discusses the ways in people in which people are actually persuaded to take one of those positions, uh, appealing to emotions or the authority or the character of the person who is persuading. Uh, but so uh, William Wallace, in his um, uh, modeling of nature, he pays uh, attention to one other category that uh, he has, uh, endoxa, which is still an opinion, but reputable or expert opinion. Uh, which will be the highest degree of opinion, uh, which the most uh, closely resembles actually uh, episteme, uh, which uh, 
may be still referred to truths that are partial uh, and obscure. Uh, and this is important because uh, from the Aristotelian point of view today, uh, we, would, uh, we could think about contemporary science as uh, a part of, uh, or a kind of uh, opinion, uh, but this may be a special type of opinion, which is again endoxa. Uh, the, nomen the nomenclature is different, obviously. Uh, today we would say that science is a justif just justified true belief. So why do I say all this? Well, uh, because maybe uh, someone could say if uh, the ideal uh, that is available for science is uh, endoxa, so maybe first principles are not that important in, sci in, in a scientific inquiry uh, that we pursue today. Well, I think that wouldn't be the case for Aristotle because, uh, again, endoxa would still be uh, grounded in some ways in which we know, again, about causes. So when, uh, uh, therefore, mm, uh, there's another important aspect of this conversation uh, here or approaching uh, scientific inquiry uh, nowadays from the perspective of Aristotle, uh, when we think about uh, the ways in which uh, this highest ideal of knowledge is approached uh, or achieved, uh, this is again through demonstration. It has been emphasized uh, in this conference several times. Uh, so, um, and Aristotle, we have uh, will have, as we know, the distinction between direct demonstra demonstration and indirect demonstration. And direct will then be divided into uh, something that he occurs the most, it seems, knowledge of the reasoned fact. Uh, no, uh, in Latin we say, or we call it knowledge propter quid, and knowledge of the fact. So the first one, as we know, goes from causes to effects, and the second begins with effects with a hope that we can uh, find uh, the causes. Uh, so again, uh, the same quotation, the premises of demonstrated knowledge must be true, primary, immediate, better known uh, than and prior to the conclusion, which is further related to them as effect to the cause. So again, uh, a scientist may say, well, uh, in natural hard sciences, it doesn't seem like uh, the pure knowledge of, uh, of uh, causes is available uh, to me in any way. But then uh, Aristotelian would say, don't worry, because what is available uh, to you is knowledge of the fact. You can begin with effects, as you actually do in your science. And uh, Aristotle uh, would uh, favor it uh, in a way, uh, or appreciate it. Uh, why? Uh, because in demonstration, uh, quia, uh, the, which begins uh, with the knowledge of the fact, within this demonstration, we can actually make a causal uh, inferences uh, where we assign a, a remote cause. Maybe we uh, may not be able to, uh, to assign a proximate cause, but at least a remote cause uh, which will uh, function as the middle term. Uh, so uh, he gives an example of the negative demonstration uh, that uh, of this type uh, of causal type when uh, we say that the wall does not breathe because it is not living. So the proximate uh, cause of, uh, uh, of not breathing is not having lungs. You may have animals who uh, are alive but uh, do not breathe because they don't have lungs. But the more remote cause in this case uh, would be, uh, again, to say that uh, the wall uh, does not breathe because it is not alive and it actually explains. Uh, so uh, so this, in this way, 
demonstration uh, can lead you to, uh, to, to knowledge. Uh, and then uh, we have uh, another possibility uh, which doesn't actually point towards a, any particular cause, uh, either proximate or remote, but still make, may make uh, uh, or may help us uh, a sort of inquiry or demonstration that can uh, allow us uh, to make a suggestion that there is some sort of cause and we may uh, simply allude uh, to some possible characteristics of this cause and this uh, matters. Why does it matter? Well, uh, Renaissance Aristotelians claim uh, that uh, Aristotle himself uh, uh, seems to be saying that sometimes it happens that a reasoning, uh, that pro uh, a reasoning process leading only to knowledge of the fact uh, uh, and then maybe uh, remotely assigning uh, causes uh, to this fact, uh, or this uh, kind of knowledge may actually indirectly supply an explanation from which knowledge of the reason fact, even this higher, uh, the highest standard of knowledge can be obtained. Uh, so uh, it is, uh, commonly known that uh, Jacopo Zabarella uh, is uh, one of uh, those uh, who build on, uh, on this uh, thought present in Aristotle, and he defines uh, this uh, approach as demonstrative uh, regress, right? And, quote, he, he defines it as a kind of reciprocal demonstration in which after we have demonstrated the, the unknown cause through the known effect, we convert the major proposition and demonstrate the same effect through the same cause, now knowing it as a cause, so that we know why the effect exists. So he therefore claims that demonstrative, purely demonstrative method is most appropriate in mathematics, uh, whereas what he calls demonstrative regress would be most uh, appropriate and uh, applicable in natural science. Why? Uh, because in mathematics, uh, causes are known better than their effects, while uh, in natural sciences, uh, well, again, we begin uh, with effects and we at least initially know them better uh, than uh, causes. Uh, so uh, demonstrative regress for Zabarella can uh, be a demonstration from effects uh, and uh, in this way, it becomes a discovery, uh, a discovery of uh, a cause. Uh, but it can be also an, uh, simply an induction. Uh, and this obviously goes back to Aristotle, who appreciates induction, uh, obviously, as well, uh, which can be used uh, for the discovery of something that is utterly uh, unknown. Uh, so therefore, uh, uh, causal knowing and knowing causes and causal inference would be absolutely crucial for uh, Aristotelian approach uh, to science. Uh, so you just could not stay within the level of just phenomenological description of uh, reality. Uh, so, um, yeah, so a few words on this, on Aristotle uh, and his modeling of causes. Uh, I will say in a minute why I say uh, modeling of causes. So uh, again, the goal or summit of scientific operation and explanation is the knowledge of the reason fact. Uh, but knowledge of the reason fact is knowledge of the cause. Uh, and we have established that uh, it is possible uh, to reach uh, this goal. Uh, uh, wherefore, uh, or therefore, uh, scientific explanation uh, would be for Aristotle uh, definitely a causal explanation. Uh, 
Now, uh, the question uh, that I think uh, we could ask here is, uh, would be this, what kind of uh, grasp of causes we may have? Uh, I think there's, there might be a tendency um, among Aristotelians uh, to simply uh, think that we have, uh, well, indirect, uh, 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 especially in the, in, the, in the context of scientific inquiry grasp, but, but still uh, indirect, but eventually we have a grasp of, uh, well, let's say formal or, or final cause, which is in a one way or the other understood in a univocal way, uh, which I think is not the case in Aristotle himself. Uh, I think what he actually does is that he is modeling causes. So he's going, uh, beginning from in science uh, through induction, we can reach uh, the causes of things, but uh, we can actually reach them only through modeling, scientific modeling that leads us to philosophical modeling. Uh, and I think this is, exp uh, this is expressed in the flexibility of terminology that he actually uses for, for causes. And I think it's not, uh, you know, it's, it's not without meaning or without importance that he actually uses many terms for, uh, for, for uh, all four causes. So I tried to enumerate them here. Uh, so inter like when we think about uh, formal cause, so we have eidos, uh, which is uh, outward appearance. Uh, we could think uh, paradigma as, uh, as also uh, you know, a formal uh, or have a formal interpretation of this term in his uh, writings. Then we have logos and even the platonic uh, notion uh, of idea it is also in Aristotle's corpus uh, related to formal cause. We have uh, that we have holon and uh, synthesis, uh, right? Uh, that comes from uh, as a union of parts. We then have morphe and schema, uh, or schema or scheme, uh, and then uh, those that we claim to be most profound, totiene uh, nai, and I would add to it entelechia, which will be formed as expressed in its final mature state of being. So we have all this machinery, uh, categorical machinery that he uses, and on top of this, uh, we have this crucial distinction between substantial and accidental form, which you can then apply to all those, at least uh, most of those uh, terms that are uh, listed here. So I think this is his way in which uh, he is modeling a formal uh, cause. Uh, then we go to material cause, right? So that out of which something is generated, ex who? Uh, then hille, but prote hille, right? Uh, there are passages when he speaks hille, there are passages when he speaks prote hille. Hippokaimenon physis, uh, proton hippokaimenon, or even uh, this uh, notion of antecedent which necess necessitates in some way because it has privation to it, uh, necessitates a, a consequent. A consequent. Uh, then when we go to efficient cause, uh, again, we have a number of terms that he uses. Arhe as a source of or beginning or of change uh, or of coming to rest. Uh, hothen, maker or agent. Uh, that which starts the process of change. Uh, and then uh, at a meta level, uh, in a way, of description, uh, we, uh, he does introduce the distinction between immanent and transient efficient causation, 
crucial uh, for the definition uh, or understanding of life uh, among Aristotelians. And then obviously primary and secondary causation, efficient causation developed later on by scholastics. And again, uh, last fourth cause, again, a number of terms. Uh, telos as purpose or end, harin as that for the sake of which, agathon as a good, uh, there is a normative aspect to teleology, and again, I would repeat entelechia here as, again, form expressed in its final or mature state uh, of a given being. So Aristotle is, uh, is so he believes, I guess, uh, I believe that he believes that he, we have access to causes, but we have to model them. Uh, because uh, there are different functional modes of all uh, four causes that uh, are applied uh, in our attempts at understanding uh, phenomena uh, that we deal with and we explore in natural science. So uh, when we think about the contemporary uh, then uh, Aristotelian uh, causal uh, modeling of living uh, beings, uh, then uh, I would say that the contemporary Aristotelian scholar, uh, he would uh, be happy to go with a biologist enumerating the properties of life. Uh, and we could spend much time on each one of these, but I would just uh, make, uh, offer a list of them. Metabolism, homeostasis, active information cycling uh, systems uh, within living systems, growth, developmental processes, reproduction, sensation, motion or locomotion, and then uh, those uh, specific for human beings. Uh, so these are uh, called in contemporary philosophy of biology properties uh, of life. Uh, so uh, what, um, so this we would share with, uh, with biologists, uh, but uh, Aristotelians would be unhappy with just uh, this phenomenological enumeration uh, of properties of life, uh, where uh, when uh, scientists are trying to coin a definition of life, which, uh, as we all know, uh, is, has not yet been achieved, the definition of life that everybody would agree with, uh, they uh, simply uh, work within this uh, number of uh, enumerated properties. Uh, whereas, uh, the, and the difficulty of the definition is uh, simply there uh, in their approach, where they are trying to pick up and choose which one of these is important, or maybe all of them are important, but therefore, but then how do we make one definition that uh, gets uh, or takes all of them, uh, brings uh, all of them together? So uh, Aristotelian scholar would say, we uh, value this enumeration and we uh, study it, uh, but then uh, there is something uh, more profound, deeper ontological questions uh, that uh, we ask. Uh, not simply enumerating this, but we ask why do living things uh, express or show uh, those properties? Why do they continue as wholes? Why do they process energy in a way that maintains their uh, inherent stability? What grants their cap capability of flexible control of uh, their internal uh, dynamism? What grants the animate entities uh, powers to grow, reproduce, reproduce and evolve and so forth, and even die in a uh, seemingly organized way? So uh, here uh, uh, we would uh, implement, uh, well, this, again, causal machinery that goes beyond simply efficient uh, causation, uh, but refers to all four causes 
and uh, we would say that those properties of life uh, can or should uh, be uh, described as dispositions or powers that are grounded in, well, I would say various functional modes that I have enumerated before uh, of specific, this uh, formal, material, efficient, and final causes, which provide for the unity, uh, a, uni a unique kind of unity of those uh, living beings. So, uh, so again, to understand life and everything that happens within living organisms, a robust notion of uh, causation is needed. Uh, so now I'm moving to modeling in contemporary bi biology uh, because the question that uh, an Aristotelian uh, mm, scholar that is interested in this entire conversation of modeling in biology would ask would be to what extent uh, modeling in biology uh, is causal and to what extent uh, mm, it approaches uh, uh, this more robust notion of causation. So I did, uh, over the last uh, several weeks, I was uh, reading a number of um, uh, articles and publications on uh, modeling in uh, philosophy, philosophical approach to modeling in biology. So I found, uh, I saw that there are uh, at least two uh, main distinctions of, uh, of models in biology from the point of view of uh, philosophy of uh, biology. These are, so one distinction, uh, uh, or one least uh, distinguishes between experimental models, which may range from actual organisms to physical representations of uh, these organisms, mathematical models, uh, which uh, range from purely deterministic to purely stochastic models, and uh, uh, computational models. So those who work uh, on this uh, division of uh, types of models in biology, they emphasize that uh, their uh, mm, implementation in biology varies uh, with respect to different divisions of biology. So they say that biochemists, uh, cell biologists, uh, molecular biologists favor experimental models uh, and see them as being about large uh, classes uh, of uh, organisms um, uh, where uh, differences among species are noise uh, and uh, species and related species provide an information that is redundant so uh, professor Schnell mentioned uh, it before uh, uh, I found that uh, almost all uh, research in molecular biology involves less than 10 species uh, which are considered to be model uh, species but then ecological and evolutionist uh, bio evolutionary biologists uh, bi biologists they prefer more mathematical models uh, and find them helpful in their study of, well, hundreds and thousands of species where differences among them are treated as signal and not noise, and those models are thought to capture uh, those uh, differences. Uh, another uh, division uh, that I uh, found, which I think is uh, very interesting, is the distinction between three uh, types or cultures of modeling in biology. The first one is, well, this is described in philosophy of biology as causal modeling in, in biology, therefore interesting uh, for us here, I believe. Then data-based uh, statistical modeling uh, and uh, algorithmic uh, computational uh, modeling in uh, biology. So I will go uh, shortly uh, through uh, all uh, three of these. So the first is uh, causal uh, modeling uh, in biology which is grounded uh, in, so this is like the old school uh, modeling biology that was important, especially in the first uh, half of the uh, 20th uh, century. 
uh, grounded uh, heavily uh, in experimental uh, biology and prior uh, to the aid uh, coming from the big uh, data science. Uh, so the idea here is to represent uh, idealized features of structural composition and biochemical causal pathways in organisms, populations, uh, or even entire uh, ecosystems. Uh, and the crucial role here uh, is the role of uh, idealization. We just uh, have a particular uh, nature here because it is, uh, I think, to large, uh, in large, ex to large extent, extent subjective uh, and arbitrary. Uh, this is a particular decision of the particular scientists uh, about things that uh, they will not uh, put into the model uh, that may not be relevant uh, in, uh, to uh, this uh, the modeling that they uh, pursue. So the conversation here is whether uh, this idealization is more Aristotelian or Galilean uh, in, uh, in its nature. I tend to think that rather the latter uh, is true, uh, that um, these are deliberate distortions rather than uh, putting in brackets uh, things that uh, are not relevant and will not change uh, the outcomes of this type of uh, modeling. Uh, so, uh, so why is, I mean, again, idealization is crucial. So for example here, when an ecologist modeling in this way creates a model of population dynamics, uh, he or she chooses whether or not there is a single population, whether or not a population is finite, whether uh, or not uh, two sexes are present in this population, whether or not individuals made uh, randomly or not, whether or not the number of offspring uh, produced is finite, whether or not there is an environmental vi variation and so forth. So all these aspects are taken into account and decisions in a way has, uh, have to be made. And therefore, uh, the outcome of this high level of idealization is that some causal models uh, assumptions could never be uh, supported by data. Uh, so for example, in the same model, it is uh, never true that uh, a population has an infinite size, which may be assumed uh, for the sake of the model, or that individuals have infinite number of offspring, or that environment is always constant, etc. cetera, okay? Mm, so interestingly, statistical analysis that even when it enters uh, uh, here uh, and large uh, or, or big data science when it enters uh, this type of uh, modeling uh, still uh, it may not inform uh, the choose of model alt alternatives so the question is uh, would be whether nowadays this model is still viable or not at all and it should be abandoned uh, it has been very uh, influential and critical uh, for a number of important discoveries in the 20th century uh, just uh, you know, a, a, a few examples. Uh, you know, the discovery of uh, the correct mechanism for the replication of DNA uh, helix, uh, reconciliation of the generic mechanisms underlying uh, traits that very discreetly and uh, that vary discreetly, and those that vary in a continuous way. Uh, development of population genetic models, and eventually. Uh, a highly influential and important model uh, that brings together mi micro and uh, macro evolution. Uh, so what are the difficulties of this type of modeling uh, in uh, biology? Well, the main problem of this modeling uh, is uh, the level of acceptable deviation from the predicted basis on uh, 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 prediction based on I uh, the ideal 
idealized uh, causal models. Uh, so uh, how large can this deviation uh, be, uh, right, uh, and still allow us to uh, conclude that the model provides an, uh, you know, a meaningful explanation of, uh, uh, of a particular phenomenon? At which point does it tells, tell us that our model is incorrectly formulated? When can we assume that the model is correctly formulated, but, but prediction based on it uh, is incorrect uh, or is not instantiated in nature? So those who are critical about those models, they say that we end up here with an inferential ambiguity. Uh, few, there are few agreed upon standards by which success and failure uh, are judged. Uh, so these models would be highly uh, subjective. Uh, and the criteria would be, uh, in many cases, arbitrary. Uh, what is the nature of, like, but, but, but from, from my perspective, another question would be, and a crucial one, if these are uh, causal models, uh, what is the nature of causation that is uh, being uh, modeled uh, here? Uh, are we still within uh, the context of causal reductionism, or maybe uh, they help us to achieve causal non-reductionism? So um, is causation still uh, uh, reduced to uh, efficient causes here, or maybe we can uh, go beyond? Uh, in what way uh, models uh, that are offered here uh, would line up with uh, contemporary uh, models of causation, regulatory uh, or counterfactual views, interventionist views of uh, causation that seem to be, uh, I, I would think that that would be one of those um, uh, uh, models that would be crucial uh, for this type of modeling. Uh, maybe probability view of causation, or to what extent they would be open, for example, uh, to dispositional view of causation. And I think this is uh, an open question. Uh, the second type of models uh, that uh, in a way replaces or, uh, uh, or I would say develops on uh, causal models but brings them into a completely new area uh, or, or uh, new uh, regions of uh, explanation uh, or exploration of reality is data-based uh, statistical modeling in biology where it aims uh, at extracting meaningful uh, insights uh, from uh, long-term uh, large and complex observational, observ, observational da uh, data sets uh, to construct models to test causal hypotheses about biological processes. Uh, so the scientists, uh, as uh, Professor um, Schnell explained, uh, they choose an underlying statistical model in one way or the other that they believe generate uh, the data and then try to use this, uh, 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 this model to make inferences about uh, further inferences about those observed uh, data. Now, this is interesting that this strategy, one may think it's not causal, it ceases to be causal, it's becoming statistical and phenomenological more, uh, but uh, there's a number of thinkers who claim, no, uh, it actually allows us to uh, make uh, still causal inferences which uh, mm, uh, are uh, here very interesting uh, because uh, they may be made in contexts where, uh, where controlled experiments are impossible for uh, various reasons. But I uh, think that uh, uh, if causal inferences can be made here, they would uh, circulate around the probability view of causation, uh, where uh, causation in question would be an eff efficient cause 
uh, and it will be defined in terms of uh, raised uh, probability of a given occurrence of a given phenomenon. So, for example, uh, I think based on this type of mod modeling today, we oftentimes have uh, mm, uh, causal inferences uh, where, for example, mutations in DNA sequence uh, would be identified as being potentially disease-causing, right? solely uh, by the strength of their statistical association with the disease and not by their uh, consequences for the function of the associated protein uh, uh, in a given biochemical pathway. Uh, so uh, the difficulties of this modeling, uh, well, the, assumption, uh, the, assumption, the assumptions routinely made about the modeling underlying the data are often unknown, uh, of unknown validity at, at best, says uh, Brayman. The criteria by which associations are judged to be significant or not are arbitrary and may often uh, lead to incorrect conclusions, which was uh, uh, pointed uh, out before. Uh, so this is the second, uh, so, so these are main problems of this uh, modeling. And then eventually we have the third uh, um, uh, modeling culture that is entering uh, uh, biological research, which is al algorithmic modeling in biology. In this approach, uh, we introduce automated procedures uh, to make predictions from data. So we insert those black boxes uh, which uh, do the work, but we actually are not aware of uh, how those um, neural, uh, neural, neural wet networks work. Uh, so this is, uh, in, on the one hand, very promising uh, 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 you know, tool, uh, as uh, because uh, of the simple fact that investigators can avoid much of the uh, hard work needed to construct, analyze, and validate a causal model of data, uh, and this allows biologists to tackle analyses which were previously uh, absolutely impossible to address. Mm, uh, but at the same time. Mm, I'm uh, not at the same time. It, well, another important aspect: the machine learning analysis in many subdisciplines in biology demonstrate that prediction and causal understanding of many-dimensional complex systems can be attained, even when many, uh, but not all, parameters can be measured, and when likely relevant equ equations are uh, insoluble. So, it is a very promising uh, method, which, uh, mm, and uh, I'm coming to the conclusion slowly, which. Uh, uh, well, the, the promise of uh, especially big data-based uh, modeling and computational uh, algorithmic uh, modeling is that uh, the hope is that we will be able to grasp better the complexity of biology, uh, mm, uh, which will be based uh, on the interplay of molecular reductionist and organismal non-reductionist, well, from philosophical point of view, maybe emergentist uh, approaches. But now, again, the question that I would have, uh, and this is, I will end up with a number of questions. What are the causal categories proper for research and modeling in uh, biology? And what are the uh, causal categories that are in play here? Again, has causal reductionism been overcome, or will this methodology help us to overcome uh, causal reductionism in experimental uh, biology? Uh, well, when we think about the entire study of biological information, we find those, uh, many who actually claim that the past, past the limits of genocentrism, we realize that biology requires a richer concept of information, uh, uh, quantitative and qualitative uh, notion of information, 
uh, one that includes semantic and tele teleological aspects. And the answer to, is, uh, to this uh, need is a teleosemantic or teleofunctionalist concept of biological information. Uh, where biological information is, in its quantitative and qualitative aspects, is not only a derivative of an, of an epiphenomenon or a, an epiphenomenon uh, of the dynamically understood material structure of a given animate being, but it explains it, uh, I would add ontologically, grounds it. Now, I find those claims more in philosophy of biology than in, uh, I think, in biology. So again, the question would be to what extent this conversation can happen between uh, biologists and uh, philosophers uh, of biology and metaphysicians. Uh, so does this approach uh, that we are dealing with, again, reintroduce or reopen uh, the way back to more classical and robust uh, Aristotelian notion uh, of causation? I think it's an open question. And there's a number of other questions that are asked that I encountered in this literature on biological modeling from the philosophical point of view again. Uh, biological models and the notion of biological law. Uh, what is the relation here, whether we do have biological laws the way we have them in, let's say, physics and chemistry, where biology is a historical science, uh, and uh, do we have models which uh, apply uh, to all cases of a given biological phenomenon at all? Uh, and if not, what uh, are they? Uh, biological models and uh, biological theory, uh, so uh, the understanding of biological laws and the entire conversation of biological laws affects, obviously, the conversation on uh, what a biological theory is, and uh, then uh, the question, what uh, is the um, role of models uh, in uh, constructing biological theories is an open question uh, here, too. Uh, and then on simply ontology of uh, biological models and epistemology of biological models, these are all questions that um, we are uh, left with. Uh, so I guess I'm just adding to the confusion in uh, this entire conversation rather than uh, bringing uh, uh, solutions. But um, yeah, this is all I wanted to, um, that's all I wanted to, um, that, that's all I wanted to uh, uh, present. So thank you for your attention.